Hello, everyone. How you doing? This is a really exciting times for us. So I'm just a tall, bald, ugly guy, right? Sitting right here, <laughs> chit-chatting with two phenomenal educators. That I can honestly say that I, I know their work. I've had the opportunity of working with them on several projects in, in, in the work that I do. And tonight, and whatever time you're watching this, this here through Comic-Con, is we're going to be talking about kind of a, a smorgasbord of words, but they all really mean the same thing. So you might hear us talk about makerspace or mindset, um, where we are in Iowa, where we talk about the universal constructs. But for the, a lot of you, that's the four C's. It's nothing new or anything like that. It's just how our state organizes it. Uh, Project-based learning, insert the, the, the buzzword wherever you see fit. But really what we're after in our conversation today is around helping students actually truly own their learning, which we all say that's what we try to do, and creating authentic learning experiences, not just for the students, but for the educator as well. So you're gonna hear a lot of words, but I just wanna start that off before we even introduce ourselves of that's really what we're after because this is something that we know is important. And we've got two phenomenal people that are actually making it happen through all the trials and tribulations and, and all the things that the education system puts our way that doesn't always make it easy. So let's start with introductions. Uh, Sarah, I'm gonna start with you uh, just because you're the first on my left here. Um, and let's just let everybody know who you are, what you do, um, and just kind of so that we, we get a sense of, of who's all gonna be sharing some uh, genius insights tonight. All right, well, uh, I teach here at Forest Grove with this other awesome educator. I teach sixth grade, but I have experience in kindergarten, second grade, and third grade. So that's about it. That's me. There it is. Awesome. That's, that's it. <laughs> and then our other amazing person here, we have we have Beth Campbell. And Beth, who are you and what do you do? Well, I am the teacher librarian here at Forest Grove, and we opened a brand new school this year. So we got to actually create a learning laboratory. And so I get to co-teach and work with our students K-6. Um, I've also been an innovation tech coach, but I love the learning lab and all the opportunities it brings to work as a team with my awesome educator friends. <laughs> yes, I'm so glad to have you guys part of this. And I am Aaron Maurer, my title is STEM lead. So on the Eastern side of Iowa, I support 21 school districts in STEM and computer science and project-based learning. Um, and I have a, a good working relationship with these two. We've done a couple pretty spectacular global projects and we've got we're piloting a new one right now that is gonna be um, maybe the best yet, but we're not there yet. So uh, once it goes live, we'll definitely share, but we, this is a, a great opportunity to kind of bring the voices of educators to the light for people to see this. So to get started, we were just talking, or I was talking about the smorgasbord of words and ideas, but if we were to focus on this concept of authentic learning experiences um, or students owning the learning journey, let's just kind of establish what we mean by that. There's lots of definitions. There's lots of books on these types of things. There's, there's everything under the sun for it. But in, in, I always like to think about it like in the reality of teacher terms. What is it that we actually mean by this? Because I think there's, while we all hear it all the time, a lot of times we don't really know what it is because the words we use freely and maybe not truly understand. And I'm not saying that we're, we are the perfect solutions to these definitions, <laughs> but 
as we set the stage for our conversation, like what does that mean to, to, to you guys when we're thinking about authentic learning experiences and students owning the learning journey? Eric, go first. Oh, goody. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is really important in, in talking about ownership is we've, we've talked a lot to our kids about the difference between real work and fake work. So work that really connects the world outside of these four walls. Um, and, and part of that is we talk about ownership, meaning I'm not the authority anymore, right? And so um, design becomes the authority or ingenuity becomes the authority or creativity becomes the authority. So it's really, it's really taking ourselves as adults out of that equation, I think, um, and, and really handing over that decision-making and um, maybe not so much the pace of the situation, but uh, the productivity, mm -hmm. pace and productivity to those, to the kids and letting them wrestle and struggle and um, just be there to support. I don't know. What would you add to that? Well, I'm going to add to that. It, it, that whole idea. And we do unwrap that with, with students. We, they give us examples of when mm -hmm. they've been given fake work. They know when the work doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And so we actually start with that conversation. And from there, we talk about opportunities to actually make a difference in the world, um, what they want to do, their ideas. But I guess at the end of the day, what it shows is that we believe in them. Mm -hmm. And we have um, the opportunity yeah. to do school different for them. And so when they know we believe in them, when they know we're not just going to lecture at them mm -hmm. or deliver um, content to them, it becomes a different rich environment. So that whole idea of, of owning the work and authentic work, it, it makes a huge transformation in the culture in your classroom. You know, I wanna add on to what you just said too about um, that what we prioritize with, mm -hmm. with them when we talk about this. You know, our kids grow up in systems where um, we ask for the right answer, right? We're constantly seeking a right answer. And ownership, when you own your own mm -hmm. work, it's really about the process. And so sometimes we overlook that, I think, in our own school systems or within our systems, and, and that's kind of undoing school to them, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I think ownership, too, is just reprioritizing that a little bit and really prioritizing the process and not the product. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as you so let's 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 break that down a little bit because you guys said some key things that I think are um, really important that I think we need to dive into. Because I would say that the majority of educators, if you were to pull them, they would say that's what they do. Like, and I don't, I'm not. We're not here to judge to say whether you are or not. That's not the point of this. And there's not. We're not to say that we're above um, anyone in this work. But I think there is misconceptions about what we're talking about. And so, Sarah, in the beginning of your, your answer there, you were talking about moving the learning beyond the classroom walls. It reminds me of a, a student I had. We had a student voice group many years ago when I was still teaching in middle school. Um, and she called classrooms pastel prisons. Every classroom looked and felt the same. So we started like this campaign of like, what's your wow? Like every room should have its own character. Like me. I love coffee. Kids have called me coffee chug throughout the day. Like I, I, so I was always trying to create this like cafe experience. You know, I think about like uh, my wife, she's a teacher, but she loves gardening. Like what if everything was about like gardening? Now she's got gnome gardens everywhere. And like, you start to bring in your own personal flavor. So I think there's something there, but where I want to set a little stake in this and talk about that. When we think about going beyond the classroom walls, the first question that always comes up with is, I don't know how to do that. And 
when people ask what they're looking for is like, you know, we used to have Skype in the classroom, which that doesn't exist anymore, or Google field trips or virtual field trips. But I don't think that's actually what they're asking. And this is what I want to pose to you two. Before you even think about the tools or the connections or who to reach out to, what has to happen first to get the classroom ready? I should actually say classroom, I'm going to say learning space because we've got the learning lab and your media center, Beth, so it's not just a, a classroom, so to speak, ready to actually engage beyond the classroom walls. Like, I think so quick, we're like, just give me the tool, find out who I got to email, but we didn't, we haven't created the culture yet. So can you guys talk about that a little bit? Cause I think that's a, a missing component that gets left out of the conversation um, time and time again, and not on purpose. It's just it's rarely addressed. And it popped in my head as you were talking, Sarah. You know, the first thing that comes to mind, and you mentioned this in the introduction too, is uh, our universal constructs here in Iowa. Um, just our human centeredness um, within our system, right? And so I think when we talk about those human skills that we um, prioritize, probably I hate to say it even above our content skills at some, in some capacity, right? Um, I think that sets our groundwork and our foundation for growing outside of these four walls, but we spend mm -hmm. a lot of time unwrapping those words and what that really means and what that looks like. Because at the end of the day, no one's gonna care what you did in sixth grade, but they are gonna care if your thinking is fluid, if you're an effective communicator, if you um, are willing to take ideas and add value to, to a conversation. So I, yeah. I would say that's where we start. That's where we start to build our base and our foundation yeah, I'm going to interject here real quick. I know Beth, I can tell you want to share something here, but I just want to clarify just because we have a potential global audience. So when we say right. universal constructs, I'm just going to I'm just going to say these words of what they are for our state. Okay. And I guarantee anybody listening knows these words. So just to, so we're not speaking from like a local lens. People are like, what are those? We're talking critical thinking, complex communication, creativity, collaboration, flexibility and adaptability, productivity and accountability. These are words we all know, but just so we are, we're aware of what we're, when you're talking about, we prioritize those sometimes over content. I think most people are aware of this is what we're all striving for. So I just want to put that in there real quick. Beth, I didn't, we'll go back to you. I didn't know if you had something you wanted to share. I didn't want to cut you off in mid-sentence, so. Well, no, I mean, Sarah, Sarah introduced it very well, but the word she used was conversation. Mm -hmm. And so we spend a lot of time in conversation, meaningful, deep, rich conversation with our students about this. So actually we go slow to go fast later on. And those, that rich conversation then combines the headpiece with the heart piece. So that's where the, the student centered and I care about this and I want to own this because I believe in it and it matters to me. It matters to me to be a better human being. And so starting with those rich conversations, going slow, not, I, again, I'm, I'm not going to prioritize the content to the content, mm -hmm. but I have to create a culture in my room that fosters risk-taking, that fosters trust, that fosters care and concern fosters relationships. And, and if I don't have that, none of this is going to, it's going to be a thing. And so we don't want it to just be a thing. We want it to be the way we do business with our students. And when you say thing, I, this reminds me too, we work really hard because, and you just said it, I'm just going to repeat it, but this work isn't a lesson and one and done, right? It's woven into how we act and behave, how we engage with content um every single day so it 
it isn't a thing that we just teach once, um, but it is nurtured, it is, it is worked on, it is wrestled with, um, it is talked about. And, and not only do we have conversations with our kids, but eventually, slowly, we expect them to start speaking this language too, right? Like, this isn't just our language, this is your language. And so um, even more important, I think that they're able to match their words with their behaviors and actions when we talk about universal constructs and, and again, building that ownership. Yeah, so I want you guys, I'm gonna share a quote and while I'm doing that, I want you guys to think about, um, let's provide an example of what it is that you guys were just talking about, because I think, again, we talk about culture and safe space and all these things, but I don't know that it's always there in terms of creating a space that allows for vulnerability to try something new. Um, and probably even more important, not just we're talking physical space, but space and time of, of the school day or your class period, depending on your grade level, to allow it to happen. And that's, we know there's pressures and I'm not here to go into that we could spend forever on, on the pressures of schedules and curriculum and what you got to be and i know there's different places there but as you guys think about it some examples so i think it's helpful for the for educators to hear like what it is that you've done found to be successful in those ideas as you guys were talking it reminds me of this thing um from a book uh nomadic uh, society and it says like educators need to leapfrog beyond the cult of educational measurement and uh, the author goes on to say when we focus on how to learn, not what to learn, yeah. <laughs> learning becomes invisible. Yeah. And I think that's really powerful. It kind of speaking to this culture piece that you guys are, are, are speaking to here, right? We could sit down every day and give kids packets and we could say, yes, they, they mastered the standard and blah, 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 blah. Um, but it's the culture piece. So as you guys were talking about that, how have you done that um, both as a classroom teacher on uh, your case, Sarah. And Beth, I think it's really important that we get a, a, a media center librarian example too, because the culture you have in your space is phenomenal. It's not just come in, check a book and leave. Um, it's hard that we could spend a whole session on, on explaining all the stuff that goes on in your space. So I think there, there are two powerful lenses that, that I think need to be heard. You go first. No, you go first. No, no I don't know where to start. <laughs> We're just like kids. We're just like kids. Oh, yeah. you do it. Um, I'm going to start with one that I think fosters that conversation. We have what we call here a culture of readers. So we've done some branding of ourselves mm -hmm. and, and we bring students on with that branding. We talk about branding. So whatever it is in your scenario, you, you can talk that with kids and we talk that with younger kids. That's, that's one way to start taking it from the conversation to now a collective care concern, what, what our group wants to move forward. So we've done a lot of that with our ELA, with reading, with great books. And then, um, so we have a culture of readers. So what does that look like? And we've done a lot of branding that we utilize then with, with Twitter. Um, mm -hmm. Our students then take their deep, rich conversations about books, what's touched their lives, what matters to them. They've created podcasts. Um, they create Adobe um, Spark video um, creations, Adobe Spark post creations. Um, we put those on a Wakelet wall, which is just a beautiful way to collectively share as it integrates with Google Classroom. We share that with authors, with publishers. Um, so we use all of that then to like, brand not only our what matters to us mm -hmm. but brand their work and so it, it's kind of a progression from 
you know, the rich conversation, conversation. Yep. And, and moves it in. So that would be one example. Well, and I was going to talk <laughs> about that example. So <laughs> you're so Beth's work is so she's so embedded in all of our classrooms. You know, when you think about a learning lab, kids don't come in here and check out books and leave. I mean, she is embedded in the constant work and instruction within all classrooms. So we really aren't a separate right piece. You know, we're not two separate pieces here. We're really one unit, but um, everything Beth just said, I would agree to. So we talk, talk a little bit, Sarah, for you on your idea around systems. Um, I know we're doing a project that's evolved around systems, but one of the things that you do really well, and I always, it's always so hard as a teacher, you're like, well, this is just what I do. Um, you know, I don't, you don't, you don't see the, the power in it is like, we're doing this project right now with NASA. And basically the driving question is how do we, what are the ingredients to survive regards of time, space, and place? Um, PBL is not new and this kind of stuff is nothing earth shattering to many people. But Sarah, what you've been able to do is develop a system um, as an educator in your classroom, interwoven with the media center, and you have found a way to thread a through line with ancient Egypt, mm -hmm. um, the all 13 nonfiction book about the, the soccer team that was trapped in the tunnels. And now here we are exploring how to live on the moon which to the average person seems like those are so disconnected. But you do this not just with this particular project, you do it just naturally through your subjects because you have, you have required minutes of how to teach. You have required things that you have to get done. We can't just completely revolt and deviate from the system. Like there's things that you have to do, but you found ways to bring this culture, this learning space and these experience while also being able to do those things. So like, take us through and I know sometimes we just ebb and flow right along with the kids but like in your brain like how do you process how do you start to <laughs> bring that to fruition and maybe you don't even know it just happens that happens for a lot of people but I think that's an important element because a lot of people getting started like yes I got this but I have to do my I have to do my science so there's a science lesson then I have to go do my math block and then I'm gonna try to do PBL and that feels so separate that you just get exhausted doing it because it's not woven in with everything so I was just curious on your thoughts or questions or ideas you think through when trying to make that stuff happen. Well, I think, I think when you speak of through line and, and let's, I'm going to give all three of us credit here. You know, this is never something that, that I do just alone and isolated, you know, so mm -hmm. the power of co in this building and, you know, the three of us, especially it, it is, it is, is a necessity in, in doing this kind of work. And so um, our through line, and, and you guys, we had how many meetings before this work actually started? And we, our meetings were in our first couple, you might say, we're just like, oh my gosh, we're never, I mean, I guess maybe we won't do this. I don't know, right? And right. We were stuck, we felt stuck. But um, painting done for us is really, really important. And what it looks like at the very end. And then when we, when we can do that and we can dial back, for, for whatever reason, then we can really start to connect and create that through line for all, all things. We also talk in here a lot about um, not just the power of co, but we don't do anything in isolation. You know, like you said, Aaron, oh, it's, it's this time from whatever social studies time from one to two or reading time from two to three. We, we really, really try to um, weave in as much as we can and and make that super super connected for kids 
you know, we talk about our, our brain does a much better job when we can make those connections and kids can see those connections. If we just do, this is our time, this is our time, this is our time, this is our time. Our kids don't see that. They don't understand that. And so then the work becomes not as rich and it becomes not as um, uh, collaborative and, and all the other things you could say that, to that. But we spend a lot of time starting with that paint done piece first. And I think that then helps us to build and enhance these experiences for kids and enrich um, our curriculum or our content. Yeah, I think it's really important that you brought up the idea of not doing things in isolation. We, we don't think twice about putting kids in groups and saying, figure out your group dynamics and do this group project, um, figure out how to work together. And we just expect them to automatically pull out the, the cheat sheet of skills and go, oh, this is how I work with a person. Like, but it's hard to teach that. Like, you have to give them experiences where they have to work through those. And I think what you hit on is important because collaboration is really hard to come by. There are, there are places that it happens. And in, in a building, I would venture to say in the average building, there's great partnerships. And then there's a lot of places where it just doesn't happen. Um, trying to force it isn't always a good answer either. But the one idea that, that I've been really thinking through this last week as we've been working through our own project with the students is like these three words of uh, being co-learners, co-teachers, and co-responsibility. And I see it through three lenses, like, or two lenses, really, like we have, we are the three of us as the professionals planning and making sure we're doing what needs to be done. We are co-learners. We are learning probably, I would say, some days way more than the kids. Uh, yes. Um, we, we are co-teaching, all utilizing our strengths when needed um, to make sure things continue to flow and co-responsibility. Like we have complete trust in one another um, and we can take on the responsibilities needed um, that we're best suited for, knowing that it all fits this bigger piece. It's not about um, any one of us individually. And that, that second lane then is these are the things that as we model, the kids are able to see us as well. There are times where we are a co-learner with students when they are learning. There are times when we are a learner while they are co-teaching us something. <laughs> and that co-responsibility um, really calls for adults to be um, brave enough to say, I don't know, like, I don't know how to do that. And that is so scary because there is this uh, embedded pressure either by society or internal, or maybe the, the culture of a building or district, where we think we can't say, I don't know. Um, and it's hard. It's hard to sit there and go, dude, I have no idea how to do that. But let's figure it out. Let's try to figure it out. Yeah, like, yeah. So there's this co-stuff that has to happen. And um, to me, I think one of the things that we had in this project was we've been trying to be pretty transparent with the kids. Like, here's what we're thinking. And we've had to change ideas several times. And some kids have really, really not liked but we're trying to let them know that we're in this with them. And like, just like they're struggling with their projects, we're kind of struggling too, as we try to figure out what is the next step, not just going, well, this is what we plan. So good luck. Uh, so just an interesting insight there, this, this kind of like co-ownership of space and learning um, and then shifting those roles as students and, and teachers among ourselves and <laughs> with our students too. Um, so let's move into, another layer of this and this is what I like how do we get started with this this is and and what's the starting point someone's listening and they're going yeah I do this yeah or I'm I want to figure out 
how to figure this out. What are first steps? What are maybe some things to look at or, or tools or just mindset? Um, and I know I've been putting you guys on the spot, so I'll throw some ideas out here first. So I'll, I'll take a little, a, little, a little brunt there for give you a breather. And I was trying to think, mine are, mine are more generic because I think for me, I spend a lot of time on how do we build confidence in the classroom as an ed educator. If we're not confident to do the work, it's not going to happen no matter what training we go to. Like we have to be confident enough to, to say, let's do this. So one of the first things I see when starting to do this type of work as a educator or a, a teacher librarian uh, or an admin giving permission to their staff to do this type of work is we have to cash in our expert badge and we have to just resort to being an amateur. We're going to get it wrong. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to own it. We're going to talk with the kids on it. And we know that it's going to be, it's going to be messy. And if you don't, if you're worried about that, my first thing is like, start small, make it a one to two day little sample type project or challenge, whatever design thinking, whatever you like, and just get in and out of it. So that way, if it tanks miserably, you're not out a lot of time. And I think what happens is kids catch the buzz of it you catch the buzz of it and all of a sudden they want more. And then that extends to, a, oh, let's do a one week, you know? And now we are working together for many times. We're, we're now several months into this one, but you don't have to start there. I think there's also that, we think we gotta go big right away. Like just, where's your point A, where's your point B and just embrace your own journey. So that's one of my ideas. I've got some others, but I didn't know if you guys have other thoughts just learn to get started. I can fill in another one, but I don't wanna hog all the air here. Go for it. Okay. Um, what you just said, I love Aaron. It's actually freeing. Yeah. When you take on that mindset and you you yeah. park, your, how, what was your phrase expert about badge. expert badge? I mm -hmm. love that. When I park that at the door, mm. actually my teaching becomes a little bit more fun and actually a little less stressful mm -hmm. versus more. Yeah. Mm. Because I've taken some pressure off of myself and the, the world that these students are going to live in, they are going to fail. And mm -hmm. so if I model my complete fail and I'm okay with that, I'm modeling for them life. Um, I, I love the idea of play. It's okay mm -hmm. to play. I don't have to have everything scripted out. And my other thing is find your tribe. If yeah. it's one other person willing to join you, find, find that one other person that says, yeah, I, I'm okay with taking a risk. Absolutely. Let's do it. One thing that I think uh, we do really well as a team too is, and you mentioned this, both of you have already mentioned this, but our kids will be working and we're in the middle of this work and we'll come together and say, okay, this isn't good. Something's not right. <laughs> so our ability just to like shed what we thought mm -hmm. was right or to shed what we think kids should be doing right now and to pivot and adjust in the moment. I mean, being in the moment and being present in that mess all the mm -hmm. time, I know can feel chaotic, but, but there is so much to be learned through that mess for both kids and adults. Um, so I think our, our, conscious ability to pivot when we need to pivot is really, really, really powerful for us as learners. And, and again, for our kids to watch as learners, I mean, I don't know how many times we've called them back to the classroom or in our lab and said, okay, time out. Here's, here's what you were doing, but now we're going to do this. And you mentioned that earlier too, Aaron, and they're frustrated for a minute. We're probably a little frustrated too, that it didn't go down the pathway. We thought it was going to go down, but we quick turn around and we redo, we reset. That, and that's life. And you mentioned that too. That's, yeah. that's our world. Yeah. And I think through that process, even in those moments, it's really hard. It's hard for everybody. Like now we're getting to the end at the time of this recording of a project and they're going to be so, so proud of their work. Like 
-hmm. not even not because of the letter grade like because they actually did the thing that they set out to do and they never would have got there had they not had to reiterate time and time again you know mm -hmm. in some groups they i think the one group they're on their like fourth big idea it just has <laughs> and that's not it, it it's not fun and anyone that tells you like making mistakes and failure is good and i mean yes it's part of the learning journey but it's not enjoyable it's a yucky feeling and we have to let kids know yeah it is yucky like it's, it's we don't want to come tell you that you know this is fun you know welcome to learning but we, how do we give the space to, to to play within those you know and there's a because I want to talk a little bit more about the mindset that we've kind of been working through with this project in particular. But one of the quotes that I, I always use when, I, when I'm talking with people about purposeful play or hands-on learning comes from this, uh, this professor, Marina Bears. I think it's how you say her last name. Um, and, and she always asks the question, is your space a playground or a playpen? A playpen oh, being it's that. isolated you've created the walls you control everything you control what the kid can and cannot do and obviously a playpen is important um <laughs> there might be a time and place for that too right there's a there's a time and place that we're gonna like you were talking about so we're gonna stop we're gonna come together and we're gonna have a talk or we're gonna stop and we need to do some direct instruction right now because we see there is a gap like there's playpen isn't bad but it can't be your main status of your learning space and then there's the playground there is it's still finite there there are boundaries but it's it's open like i could run into the grass and i can use that equipment however i want um and that's why i wanted to bring up because i know in this particular project we're talking about authentic learning experiences how hard that is from the hearts of educators mm -hmm. uh, to not i don't want to say not but to allow them to play on the equipment the way they want to play, which might be different for how we want to do it, while we're kind of standing on the outside. Um, can you guys talk about that a little bit? Because I think the reality here, I don't want to paint this picture in this in this webinar or this session that it's it's just perfect rainbows and sunshine, and you know there's a lot of great rewards to it. But it's also your your mind as an educator is going to get stuck too. Um, you guys want to talk some of that because I think that the real talk is is powerful for other educators to like you know go hey hey, be ready for it because it's coming, but you're not alone in these these thoughts and feelings. Well, you're exactly right. I mean, we've approached you throughout this process what, in front of the kids yeah. that said, I'm struggling, right? <laughs> and it's okay, but, it, and you'll talk us through and say, yep, they are too, and we're just gonna, we're sticking with it and here they go. But um, you're right, we're so used to being in control of our spaces as educators, right? You, you are the authority. And like I said earlier, this is a total shift in that authority. It, it is, you are in the back seat um, as a support and that's about it. Well, not really, that's about it. There's a lot more to it than that, but right. um, uh, I, just, I just think again, being able when you're with that co-group or that tribe, as you mentioned, Beth, um, being able to be vulnerable and say, I don't feel good about this, or this doesn't seem like it's going in the right direction. What do you guys think? And being able to play off of each other like that and, and talk through those ideas is so, so, so important because it supports, we support each other in that too. It's not mm -hmm. just supporting kids. You know, Aaron, you help, you continue to push us to think differently and, and we need support too, because it's so easy to fall back into, this is the plan you know here, yeah, this, is, right. this is the time we have to do it so we're going to do this during this time and um i don't even know if i answered the question to be really honest i just started talking so no yeah yeah <laughs> I I mean, back no i mean i mean i mean go ahead beth 
Oh, well, no, she did. But I mean, I will be a different teacher after this process. 100%. Um, and everything you said, I mean, we do have a through line. We've had many, many, many planning sessions. We have had direct instruction. I don't ever want to give the impression it was just like a, you know, free for all. Right. right. But I talk too much in my instruction. Yes. Sometimes I'm blah, 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 Me blah. Too. And I've learned from you. And um, I always want to like rescue a kid or mm. give a kid the answer because I don't want them to like struggle too much. And I feel that's my job. But what I've noticed from you is just your intentional questioning, mm -hmm. listening, 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 recrafting a question, asking them to look at something through a different lens, mm -hmm. giving them time, checking in with them. Again, taking me out of being the sage at the stage, on mm -hmm. the stage yeah. for everything. Um, and so for me, that's been a, a major instructional shift yes. in my thinking to yes. make that, again, putting the ownership back on students. And I know it's not ideal for everyone, but like if you have those opportunities to kind of do co-teaching, however that can look, it'll look a lot of different ways. I mean, I think the beauty of, of what's working for us too is when we work with a group, we're all coming at it with a different set of eyes. And it's not that one's better than the other, but we're constantly giving kids another thought process, like another angle to look through. Um, you know, Beth, you see, you see it through, through your world and your experiences of your job and your career of teaching, same thing with you, Sarah, um, as well as probably all the things that have happened in your case where you have the kids all day, you know, in your classroom, there's, there's stuff that happens in the morning um, that I don't, we don't, I don't know about that all of a sudden that does change the narrative or the conversation that has nothing to do with the project, just has stuff to do with the social emotional well-being of the children. Um, so I think that is uh, really powerful um, in and of itself. And going back to extending beyond the four classroom walls, like one of the things people always talk about is, okay, well, I don't have a co-teacher. I don't have, like, there are people who will come in and do that. We've been, we've been lucky, like people come in and been giving us feedback. Sometimes it's, we've, we've been fortunate to have some feedback from NASA and some other cool people, but locals want to come in. Like we've got, um, in our case, we have John Deere headquarters. We got a guy from John Deere coming in to help just come in next week and just look at the, the engineering lens of their constructions. They're near done, not giving answers, but just kind of looking through and be like, is there anything that could help make it a little bit better or smoother? We've got other local educators coming in and just giving feedback on their speaking. And so as we think about the classroom walls, it doesn't always have to be these big profile names. I think we, we also put burden on ourselves. When you knock one out and you get it, great, run with it and celebrate it. But your local community is a treasure trove of people um, that will come in and help if you just, and the beauty of that, some people ask about this, like, well, how do you do it? Like you have to be very specific. I need you to come in this guy from John Deere, I'm not asking him to, to look at presentations. Could he do it? Yeah, it's not his cup of tea. Can you come in? We've got four groups that have these motorized coded mechanisms. Can you look at it and just give them some food for thought? Because that's what you do. Um, that's a way different approach than, hey, could you go through and feedback on all these projects that you don't know? So as we be okay. thinking beyond the classroom walls, it's also just don't forget your local space. Like you don't have to go across the world to find a expert like they're sitting right there it's probably it could be parents as well uh, you know a lot of parents have an expertise um, in in a lot of these projects and ideas and talk about then building strengthening the community even stronger over your culture of learners or culture of readers all of a sudden now you know Susie's mom's in here and this dad's coming in here and this business is coming in here like now all of a sudden people start to see in our case, public education doing incredible stuff because it doesn't always happen um, 
in the, the social media landscape of education. So I know we've got a little bit of time. What are, what are, what are things that we haven't talked about as we think about this ownership of learning, the learning journey, authentic learning experiences that you guys want to bring out, make sure that gets captured in this as, as we're talking, like what are things that you're just want to make sure gets expressed from your history with other projects or other things that you're like, boom, people got to know this. I think it'd be helpful. Well, this is really basic, but I do believe in just really truly listening mm. to students mm -hmm. all along the way. Their ideas, they have phenomenal ideas for things they want to try. You know, we have been doing podcasting in our district now for a while. The idea started from a meek little sixth grader in the back of the room that said, I'd like to try podcasting. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about podcasting. Um, and now our podcasts are on iTunes and our students love podcasting. Mm -hmm. So I think it's it's really listening to them, listening to their frustrations, what they mm -hmm. enjoy, what matters to them, because that that does drive a lot of our authentic work mm -hmm. is is their input and their voice. Mm -hmm. I agree. And what they value in school. Mm -hmm. And you already said that what matters to them um, are, you know, again, so many times they're so compliant and they mm -hmm. want to please you. And so to undo that a little bit and really to get to the their heart and their why and taking time to have those conversations to really figure them out as as humans and as and what they want throughout this experience is is kind of eye-opening um yeah. but again you have to be present in their lives mm -hmm. every single day you have to be willing to question um you know willing to listen and just um and just take what they say and and, and value that and then and adjust from there yeah, and and to be prepared for when we create these opportunities that are authentic, they're going to respond authentically, which means in a class of 25, you're going to have 25 different responses to various challenges um, mm -hmm. in the learning process as it should be. Um, you know, I we're all the same way professionally. Like I, I'm still, I'm not getting any younger and yet I know I hate waiting to the last minute to get work done but i am like the procrastinator guru and yet i know it i guess i could say it works because I, I do get stuff done but like it's a terrible feeling and i'm like why do i oh, it was a problem when i was a kid and i'm still doing it now and i know better you know but like other people man they gotta have it chiseled out and they got it locked up so i think as we you work through some of these stuff is again coming back to that space to allow it to ebb and flow because people the kids and the projects and the groups will be at different spaces mm -hmm. and you've you've got to allow for that too it can't be okay everybody needs to be at this there's got to be some hard deadlines throughout you've got to be checkpoints that's yeah. you got to have a couple non-negotiables about how they get to that that checkpoint you got to let them you got to let them breathe so maybe the last thing is we we're talking here too i'm gonna throw this phrase out and then um get you guys' response so uh i think it's something that we're we've seen quite a bit and i'm going to start with the the relative joy of creating so we've seen some of this with creation um you know and so i say relative because it's not always joyful uh what is what, what is that statement bring to mind for you guys if we're thinking about this project or, or beth you've mentioned podcasts i mean it doesn't i mean there's lots of things that you guys have done prior to just this a project um, but what does that statement mean or how does that resonate with you you go first uh, i don't know <laughs> um 
you know, one of the things that we don't always take enough time to do and throughout this work, I've noticed we've taken more time to do is to just celebrate. Mm. And to celebrate um, when things are good, to celebrate when things aren't going well, even to celebrate the mistakes that mm -hmm. we make. Um, I, and, I, and that brings us joy because, oh, okay, here it is. Now we move on. Let's build up from there, right? And so let's reset. We give ourselves permission to do that all the time. Um, but there is that element of fun, right? This should be fun. This should be yeah. authentic work is fun because your, your kids are, they know what they're doing. Um, is, is going to matter and they know what they're doing. Um, they've accomplished it's a sense of accomplishment for them too. Um, not just a, a, a red star on your packet of vocabulary words or whatever it might be. <laughs> well, and their confidence, I think to this totally. whole last project that we've been working on, we have watched their confidence mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter where they are on a spectrum of a test score or their background mm -hmm. or whatever. It flattens the classroom, mm -hmm. absolutely. And I think too, if we come back to the power of play, you walk in here and it is a flat classroom. Mm -hmm. You yeah. can't pick out any certain group or type or whatever, mm -hmm. and their confidence, they feel empowered. And again, they feel like we believe in them and that they all can. Yeah. Um, and their strengths are highlighted yes. through this process. You know, we have kids that, we all have different strengths, but they are proud to share those and mm -hmm. to show those. That goes along with that confidence yep. too. I mean, um, sometimes in a traditional setting, we keep those packed in and we just answer the question and move along. But um, this work just fosters, and you already said this earlier, so um, it fosters the, the, the chance to fail and be okay. It fosters the risk-taking. Um, it helps us see multiple pathways within that process and, and value those pathways. I mean, we're gonna get there differently, but we're gonna get there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and again, the collaborative piece is so super important, the conversation between each other and with each other and the pushback and the willing to question and the willing to um, disagree. Uh, all, of the, all of those things wrapped up together. Um, I don't know if they always bring us joy, but they're things to celebrate. Mm -hmm. right, right. Add one more piece, the social emotional piece oh, huge. is huge mm -hmm. because they learn to rely on each other. They know who they can go to for this, this or this. Um, they're they they're just they're coming together mm -hmm. as humans yep and in a in a, our current situation right they mm -hmm. haven't had that mm -hmm. opportunity in the last couple of years i mean our we're, we're socially struggling a little bit as mm -hmm. as a world and so um opportunities like this help bring us back together absolutely yeah it's definitely one of my biggest ahas kind of being back working with kids again it's been a while since i've had i mean you go in for one or two days and everything's always fine for that but this you know this daily operation um has been really great for me and then the work that i do but like two of the things that have really just like touched the heartstrings one we had a student and been frustrated with trying to figure things out and all those things and, and just last week uh she she made the comment you know what i like about this project you guys let us laugh and we don't get to laugh in learning um anywhere else and i just thought like we get so caught up on measurements and all these things. And yes, I know they're, they're important. There's things we got to do that are out of our control, but that human element, you guys were talking about those celebrations. And I think one of the cool things about, we've been constantly trying to do celebrations as much as we can. Like it was a good problem to have. We had it just last week. We actually had to like stop a group to get back to their own work because <laughs> all three of them, 
were individually working with three other groups <laughs> helping like they organically just they just had to go help them like we're not socially struggling <laughs> yeah yeah but but i mean but that doesn't it it's so hard it's so hard we try to like force that collaboration we try to force feedback and now we always have to like steer them back like okay you gotta take care of your old the old adage right like in order to help someone else if your plane's going down you gotta put your your oxygen mask on first it's kind of like hey you guys gotta get get your stuff done like we love what you're doing but it was organic and it was genuine you know and so oftentimes like when you create the the, the space and the conditions for that those things develop and it allows those things to happen. Um, it doesn't have to be a cookie cutter lesson plan and be like try to force them to see a, a moment or, or an idea. It just it just happens. And so, um, I mean, those have been some really big aha takeaways that it, that. And I think that comes back to what the word you guys said was confidence. They wouldn't do that if they didn't have confidence that they could help. Um, if you don't have confidence, you just kind of stay hidden. You stay in your place, and you know. Um, so I think those are some just really powerful powerful thoughts there so as we wrap this up here any final thoughts what says we'll do we'll do a round table of last little final thought nugget um about either to reiterate something that was said or something that hasn't been said that you really want to make sure um people don't forget so final words are always important um in any kind of work that we do so final thoughts or words from How about you start us off? Yeah, you start. Go, Aaron. Well, you start. Uh, <laughs> okay, so I'm going to go with another classic quote, um, and it's "Plain learning are like two wings of a butterfly; one can't exist without the other." And that's something we've shared with the students. This idea of play—it's not glorified recess; it's purposeful. Um, the last month, if you were to walk into the library where the work even though it's disguised as play or um, if you didn't actually talk to a kid you just were to walk through and kind of do a quick observation you would think kids were just messing around having fun like oh that's that's cute there's some cardboard duct tape but if you actually go talk to them they'll mm -hmm. completely blow you away with how they make that prototype structure come to life with their words and how much they really know about what they're doing and how eager they are to share it with the world. Um, and so I think we get so caught up in learning and we squeeze out opportunities for play. I would say play with the purpose. Um, you've got to have both. And we, we constantly look at engagement, how long it's been since kids have seen other kids in a school where there's hundreds of kids and lots of things going on. We know play helps with anxiety. We know it helps with social emotional. It helps boost creativity. We know hands-on learning. Um, so it's not, it's, it's something that doesn't have to be one more thing. It should just be part of what you're doing. It doesn't have to be all the time, but I think that's my, my final thought nugget, like play learning two wings of a butterfly. I can't have one without the other. That's a perfect that final is perfect. thought. Thank you, I don't Aaron. know if I can yeah, say add anything <laughs> to that. That's perfect. It's messy, it's hard, it's a struggle, um, but it's so worth the joy and celebration in the end for our yeah. kids. Yeah. And your words for your kids, because this isn't mm -hmm. about us. This mm -hmm. is about, we. I feel like a huge part of our role is to advocate and champion for kids. students. And that that's why we're here. That's why yeah. we chose this. I know it sounds kind of cheesy, but when we come back to that, it it just brings lots of joy. Yep. Yeah, it's like we're we're choreographers 
of, of learning. And it's our job as the educators to um, pull out the moments that are best for the learning experience. You know, just like a dance routine, you can have lots of movement, but if it's not choreographed <laughs> and, and funneled in just right, you know, it, it, it doesn't look nice. And sometimes it's kind of figuring, creating those experiences and really kind of capturing when they're, when they're out, when we're onto something, you run with it. And when you're not onto something, you get out of it, you acknowledge it and you, you pivot and move on and try again. So this has been incredible. I appreciate you guys taking time to uh, share your insights uh, for what you do. I thank you for all that you do for, for education and, and, and the students. Um, and if people have questions and all that good stuff, feel free to, to drop it out. We'll have contact information, all that stuff, wherever Comic-Con is going to place it. Um, and we'd love to uh, continue to chat about this stuff because it's what we all love to do. So thank you, Sarah and Beth, both for your time for uh, joining in on this uh, panel here tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks for having us. Okay, thank you. Bye.